Now, there are still lots of questions about what is going on with the whole decampment process along Hastings in Vancouver. I mean, has it actually worked? Where have the people who were there gone? I mean, not all of them have gone into housing. I mean, certainly those options are not available. I think one of the things that has really shone a light with this story is the types of housing that actually are available and even really what the definition is of things like supportive housing. Because it's all well and good to say, well, someone is being provided supportive housing or they need supportive housing. But what does it actually mean? Well, Frances Bula has been writing about this in the Globe and Mail newspaper. She's been looking into this issue and she joins us now to talk about it. Good morning, Frances. Hey, Sammy. Is there a definition actually for what supportive housing means? Well, I mean, in theory, what it means is not just housing, but some kind of staff or services on the site uh, to help people with uh, various issues they might have. Usually not medical, usually medical is a visiting team, but having staff available to um, either prepare food or help people figure out how to cook, to help people get, um, you know, government ID back, uh, to help them navigate um, the social services system, uh, all kinds of things like that. Uh, and there is no set definition of how much that should be, in part because it depends on who is in a particular building. Uh, and I've heard various kinds of staffing levels. But what it isn't is putting people in housing and just having someone check them in and out. Right. Like that's not supportive housing. And unfortunately, sometimes there are some buildings that are like that, that really that's about all the support that anyone gets. Okay, so what have you found in looking into this? Well, I was very lucky in having someone who runs uh, the largest uh, uh, number of of supportive or housing uh, operations on Vancouver Island, uh, Carolina Ibera from um, Pacifica. And uh, it could mean a really wide range of things. And, um, you know, because of what happened on Hastings Street, I think some people have the impression that's all that is, is available is some terrible shelter ridden with bed bugs or a terrible residential right. hotel room that's just as bad. And there are some places like that. Uh, but there's also this huge range of other things like construction trailer type camps that have loads of supports or construction trailer type camps that have no supports or very little, very minimal old motels, old hotels. And then, you know, a lot of actually relatively new supportive housing buildings that are beautiful and look like apartments that fit into the neighborhood. Uh, and you wouldn't notice anything too unusual about them. Right. But I guess, is it the hard part then one finding out where these all are and how to get into them? I mean, for people who are on the street, there's a lot of outreach going on and people are trying different methods. I have to say the thing that really struck me as I was covering this story and have been covering it for a while is how things are just evolving on the fly. Because, um, you know, supportive housing, we really didn't talk about it 10 or 15 years ago. And now yeah. it's like all anyone talks about it. What does it mean? What is the staffing level? Where is it? Um, how do you get into it and so on? Um, so there's all these different mechanisms. There are things called allocation tables in every community where BC Housing, someone from maybe the health authority and the nonprofit housing providers will get together and figure out who should go where. 
Um, in Victoria, apparently there is a, a, an outreach team that goes right out into the street and tries to assess people in the street. They don't say you have to go to a shelter before we'll even talk to you. They assess people right out in the street. And sometimes we'll say, you know, we think you can function in a nice, uh, you know, studio apartment with a fridge and stove and bathtub. Other people, they'll say, you know, this person needs help to get back to functioning somewhat normally. So they're better off in a, a kind of a more secure facility, maybe fewer services, not quite as nice, but lots of support. That's the ideal. I mean, obviously the thing that's been a bit of an issue for I'd say the last decade is governments of both kinds have tried to persuade the public that they're solving homelessness by just producing a, a whole bunch of units of housing. Right. And not too many questions have been asked about, well, you know, what kinds of supports are you providing for people in that? Because I have seen new buildings that are run really well. People are supported, they're stable, they feel like they have a home. And I've seen buildings that are terrible because again, if you just have someone at the front desk checking people in and out and there's just no staff in spite of their best efforts, um, you're going to have a certain level of chaos for sure. Yeah. Have you, were you able to find examples where this is working well? Uh, well, the place that I visited in Nanaimo, Nikau, which is run by um, uh, Pacifica, it has loads of support, like 25 staff for 66 units or something like that, plus casuals. And they have to fight to get that. It's not something that BC Housing offers up necessarily at, <laughs> in the first go. They had to fight to get that. And, and and it's not the most attractive looking place. Like it's construction camp trailers on a parking lot, you know, in a parking lot behind yeah. a chain link fence in an industrial zone. So it's not pretty, but there's a lot of support. They get two meals a day. They get a lunch if they need it. They have someone who helps them figure out how to get to their medical appointments. There's a doctor or some kind of health team that comes in once a week. They get connected with social services and people really stabilize. Like, you know, I didn't put this in my story, but there is a man who's had, he was a serial, you know, criminal, like, Every he, he told me himself, I, every two years I was in jail. I'd, I'd be in jail for a year, I'd get out, commit a bunch of crimes, be back in again. He hasn't had a conviction since um, he's been there. I'm not sure how many years it is. And he was just the most delightful person. He recited poetry to me and, and sections from Shakespeare and just seemed like the happiest person, wow. honestly. Okay. I know, it was incredible. So um, so yeah, there is this huge range. and But if they're fairly confident that with most people, if they can get them in and provide real services, not just like put them in a room and say you're on your own now, but real services, people can really stabilize. Not everyone. I mean, every place I talk to, they still have to evict some people uh, because they just do not have the capacity to deal with the, the level of violence or dysfunction or behavioral dysfunction. Yeah. It is fascinating. Uh, thanks so much for that, Francis. Yeah, and uh, really, we should thank the nonprofit housing providers who let me and, and other reporters barge in and, and see the work they're doing. <laughs> you barge in? Never, never. <laughs> Francis, thanks for that. 
Okay, thank you. That's Frances Bueller. She's the Urban Issues and City Politics contributor for the Globe and Mail newspaper, and she's been doing a lot of work on this issue of supportive housing, and you should definitely check it out because it's an in-depth look at what it really means to provide supportive housing. You hear about that, like, and that is that coming to my neighborhood? Well, that uh, that is what it means. So check it out at theglobeandmail.com.